for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Good morning, and thank you for being here with us. It is Marsh and Mello coming out of week number six of the Canadian Football League season. As always, we begin by thanking the people that are able to allow us to do this week over week over week. I know it's not a usual length of a regular season, but it is still a grind, and we couldn't do it without Fox 40, of course. Get back in the game with Fox Mm. 40. Visit fox40shop.com to shop coaching boards, gear, and more. Use the code CFP15 at checkout. Again, CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order, and it just lets them know that you're listening to the podcast. So make sure that you go ahead and use that promo code. Even if you don't really give a damn about saving 15%, yeah, at least it lets them know that uh, that you're hanging out and you're hanging out, <laughs> having some fun with us and enjoying the uh, the shows coming up for you on today's show. We recap all things in week number six. Uh, we get Kyle Mello's thoughts on an Edmonton return man who liked his tweet and much, much more. <laughs> uh, athletes who search their own name is one of the strangest things to me. And I had an experience with this back on Friday night, Kyle as it was David Watford stepping in for Dane Evans at quarterback as Evans goes down. Jeremiah Masoli's not playing. He's on the sideline in street clothes. And I sent out the David Watford gif. And the reason I call it the David Watford gif is it's the only gif I have of David Watford because (laughs) the only time he's really done anything is when he's gone into the game, I believe in the playoff game, I think it was the 2019 East Final, where he went into the game, had a quarterback sneak touchdown, and then there was this incredible shot the CFL and TSN got of David Watford walking towards the bench and just naturally there was a tunnel of teammates from the Tiger Cats who created this like visual where the cameraman's backpedaling and Watford is like chasing the camera and getting in its face and so I I love this gif I think it's a great visual but I never use it and I had to (laughs) send it out so I sent it out because I said David Watford's in the game Dane Evans is out this is the only thing I have of David Watford but this is one of my favorite gifts I have in my like CFL collection and uh, I sent it out, and almost immediately, I had David Watford. I didn't tag him. I don't even know if I put hashtag Ticats, hashtag C. I just sent it out, and I said, wow, didn't think I would be using the David Watford gift. Immediately, what appears, based on her display picture to be his girlfriend, uh, <laughs> replies to me, oh, my goodness, can you send this to me? And I love this. And, and I was like, so wait, so you were just searching your boyfriend's name on Twitter and, like, seeing how people were? I'm like, that is unhealthy. First and foremost, yeah, don't do that. I'm like, don't, don't. That's not good for your mental health to search your name or your significant other's name and see how people on Twitter are reacting to that. Because 98% of the time, the reaction on Twitter to anything, it doesn't matter if it is a, a labradoodle uh, giving a hug to a husky, people are going to be like, oh, yeah. Uh, fake i mean it's stupid uh hate it, you know, it like people will get angry about anything on there uh and so maybe i look at this a little bit pessimistically but i'm like hey just want to start off with a little shout out to everybody out there don't search your name on twitter don't search anybody that you care about's name on twitter or really any social media for that matter but kyle you had the same experience coming out of that edmonton calgary game 
Yeah, uh, Ernest Edwards, the uh, returner for uh, the uh, Edmonton Elks. Um, just watching the game, and we'll get into all these games in depth, but watching the game, he's not a great return guy. Like, he catches the ball kind of flat-footed, and then he runs, and the big thing, and you've seen this with Frankie Williams, the biggest thing is that first defender that you face, it should be one cut up the field. But he, this dude, like, will stutter step and just keep stutter stepping. And then he stalls himself out and he's not moving as all these defenders are coming in. And I looked it up through the first five games for the Edmonton Elks. This dude has, like, a return average of, like, six yards. I'm like, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, well, the one that jumped out to me, too, getting ready for the BC-Ottawa game was that Chris Rainey, now, again, Rainey took the open. I think it was him. It might have been Shaq Cooper, but I'm pretty sure it was Rainey, the opening kickoff of the game, the late game at the end of the Super Saturday. Um, he he has an awful return average this year, too, and we're not getting, you know, like same, the same explosion out of Devontae Dedman. He's got a couple of nice returns, uh, but one of them was kind of in garbage time, if you want to call it that, against BC, despite the fact it was a 12-point deficit. It felt like it was a bit of a blowout in that game I called. So, yeah, the return game in general, I think, is uh, is struggling a little bit this year. Again, aside from, as you mentioned, Frankie Williams. Like, and his yeah. average might not be world-beating, but he is one of the most feared people back there at this point, mm -hmm. which there's not a lot of teams around the CFL right now where I'm saying team X is punting or kicking off to team Y and Ooh, as a viewer, I'm scared of what's about to happen. Frankie's kind of the only one at this point. Is he not? Yeah, he kind of is. Um, I think he's turned into one of the premier returners uh, in the CFL and you know, he continues to get better as a defender. This isn't a, a fair comparison, but I, look at you know Ernest Edwards returning the football and it reminds me of what Chris Weber said and the reason why he retired and I'm not saying Ernest Edwards needs to retire obviously that's crazy <laughs> but Chris Weber um because I, I talked about Ernest Edwards with the stutter stepping and he's like stutter stepping but he's like over stutter stepping Chris Weber said he goes the reason why I retired I realized I was in a game once and I got a post I, I was in the post and I I got a pass on the block and I kind of did the spin and he's like, I pump fake. And then I pump fake again. And then I realized, <laughs> why the hell I keep pump faking? There's nobody oh. there. Oh, it's over. There's nobody there. I'm pump faking yeah. and there's nobody there. <laughs> he's like, because <laughs> when I was younger, I would spin move, explode to the rim. And he's like, I'm over here like an old man now, like pump faking, double pump, triple pump. And it's like, yeah, it's over. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on the one cut nature of CFL returning. Like there's not very many players that you will see head towards kind of like not necessarily a blocking wall because we don't really have those anymore, but that will head towards uh, like I'm trying to think, I guess the one that jumps out to me is the lucky whitehead maybe lucky whiteheads in that conversation with frankie williams to be fair because yeah. he just he did just have that long return but he touchdown. gets up the field too very quick yeah but like he i'm just thinking of the return that he had against Ottawa this past weekend kyle where he kind of gets to a certain point on the field and when he tries to get to that wall he i mean he just doesn't take very long to get there and it's not a speed thing it's a decision making thing right it's it's knowing where you want to go and the quickest way to get there and knowing where your blocks are and knowing when to make that one cut because with running backs we always talk about being one cut runners and that's like derrick henry where you hand off inside zone and he's heading to the outside of the right butt cheek on you know our right side inside zone of the offensive tackle and his job is to cut vertically like get down the field 
whether it's in the A gap, B gap, C, whether he has to press it all the way to the edge because there's nowhere to turn back, whatever. To me, a one-cut returner in the CFL is the best version because it is Frankie Williams, what you saw against the Argonauts on Labor Day, where he turns to the wide side of the field. And like you say, there's going to be one person who's free coming down the field usually, whether it's a gunner, an inside coverage man, whatever. And he puts his foot in the ground and makes one person miss. Now, a lot of the returns that you see in the CFL, it's a one-cut and then the wall is there or the umbrella is there or, and then they just, they gang tackle and he's wrapped up or whatnot. But if you can catch it clean and you can get vertical after one cut, make one guy miss, because your job is always to make the first person miss. That's, that's the rule in returning. If you can do that and you get good enough blocking, you're going to end up in the end zone like we've seen each of the last two weeks. But again, this is similar to offensive football in the CFL this year, starting out slow, doesn't look like everybody's very confident, trying to figure it out. And then now we're seeing, okay, Frankie Williams into the end zone, week five, week six, Lucky Whitehead into the end zone. And you're starting to see, okay, the special teams are figuring it out. We've got some high scoring games going forward here. Uh, and I really do think that this is, if you look at a normal year, the body clock of a CFL player, what do we usually have? Although the stars don't play in the preseason, it's usually the two preseason games, the four regular season games. And then by the time that you get through that first month of the season where it's Canada day or it's the middle of July, that's when we really start to get cooking, right? The wheels start to turn and teams feel yeah. comfortable. Well, where are we right now? We're in week six. We just ended week six. So to me, it's like all of these things that we're talking about that we've been waiting for, they're coming to life. They're coming to life right now. And I think it's matching the timeline that we usually see in a quote unquote normal CFL season. Yeah, I think certain teams, I wouldn't say all the teams, certain teams are finding rhythms. Um, whether it's on special teams or not Ottawa, offensively. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, not Ottawa, not Ottawa, um, I believe is, as we'll call them moving forward. <laughs> um, it is crazy, um, that the red blacks are going through the same thing they went to, through in 2019, yeah. where they get a win early in the season and everybody's like, Oh, maybe they aren't going to be as bad as we thought. Uh, no, no, you were wrong. And now I actually think it's worse than it was the first couple of weeks of the season. Cause the first couple of weeks of the season, yes, they get that win over Edmonton, right. but they showed some fight and they showed defensively. Maybe they were really good now defensively. They have fallen apart. Man, the last two weeks. I feel bad for Benavides. Cause yeah, it's, it's been a rough go for them the last little while here, but yeah, it is crazy that Ottawa is stumbling around the way they are at this point. You know, and I'm not, I'm not here to bang on Ottawa or Lapalise or Benny or even Matt Nichols. Like, I'm whatever. I, I got respect for all of those people. They've all done great things in the league. It's a tough situation. We've said since the start, roster's probably not where it needs to be in order to compete with some of these other teams. But to see them, to your point, with a different quarterback to start the year, with a different coach, and to be in a similar situation, it's like, okay, well, then how do you, how do you reassert yourself? And again, it's not a short-term turnaround. So... I don't, I don't expect to say, you know, fire everybody and start all over again. That is not the answer in Ottawa. No. Like Winnipeg, I remember there was a time where Mike O'Shea was not just on the hot seat, but everybody was saying, well, when's he going to get fired? Well, now he's operating one of the finest operations in all of the Canadian Football League coming off of a Great Cup championship. So I, I tend to preach a little bit more of the patience, and I think Lapalise and Benavides deserve all of the patience that you can possibly give to them. In uh, that but, situation, you yes. need patience, but yeah. other situations, um, I see why teams were quick to pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I do think Ottawa in this spot is they have to be patient with those people. And I mean, the one thing that you can't be patient with, unfortunately for them, which is really the Achilles heel, and we could just work backwards here from some of the games over the weekend because we are talking about Ottawa and BC is 
quarterback play. Like you cannot be patient with quarterback play. They just showed that with Matt Nichols where they said, listen, Dom Davis gave us a spark in that game, despite the fact we got blown out. Defense didn't play well enough, but we scored more. So let's go with him. And it's just backbreaking to have an interception before the half, like he had on the road in BC. And, you yeah. know, typically you'll see when you throw a bad interception that goes for six like that, a head coach drop an F-bomb or freak out. There was this great shot of Lapalise on the sideline from the CFL and TSN, just walking back down his bench and just straight-faced. And to me, that said everything I needed to know, which is he knows. Like, he knows that this is not a, a place to get angry or furious or rip into a player. Or he's like, we're not there. You can just tell the look on his face. We're not there right now. We got a long ways to go. We're yeah. going to get there, but it's probably not going to be with Dominique Davis. So why am I going to lose my mind and freak out on him? Yeah. The only thing I will say on the Dominic Davis front, when he came in, yes, he had a little bit of a spark and maybe lifted Ottawa yeah. uh, more than they were with Matt Nichols. Matt Nichols is clearly more of a, at this point in his career, a methodical quarterback where no doubt, he's yeah. going to take the underneath route and maybe they're going to look boring and he's going to have two passes for seven yards and they're going to punt. But Dominic Davis is more willing to force balls in that he probably shouldn't throw in the first place. Yeah. So what's going to happen? He's going to, his yards are going to be up. His touchdowns might be up, but he's also going to turn the ball over a ton. He's a high risk quarterback, right? And when you're a high risk quarterback at times, you're going to put up some numbers and you're going to move the ball. But at times, like uh, numerous times in the uh, BC game, you're going to turn the ball over and everybody's going to be looking at each other and thinking, Oh, this isn't the guy either. <laughs> like, who yeah. who do we bring in now? <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it's amazing, too, because I get the sense from watching the other sideline in that game that not just the broadcast because he's a Canadian quarterback, but there are a lot of people who are looking around and going like, Nathan Rourke, Nathan, Nathan Rourke could go in there and could play. And Nathan Rourke could go play for Ottawa right now, and they would have a better opportunity to win than with Dominique Davis. And I'm not saying that because he's Canadian. I'm saying that because he's not going to lose the game for you. He's not going to be inaccurate. And I told you since day one with Dominique Davis, I love that guy's arm strength. I love that guy's playmaking ability. I love his, his chances that he gets out to use the open field and scramble and move around a little bit. But I feel like we've painted him with a brush that is, well, here's some of his weaknesses, but man, the strengths, they're so worth it. And then you see a game like this and you're like, I don't know if the strengths are worth it because the weaknesses are the thing that's going to shoot you in your foot. Now they would have lost anyways. Like, let's be real about this. It, yeah. This, but this is an opportunity for Dominique Davis to prove to this team that he should be the backup regardless of who the starter becomes or to prove to another team that he's ready to be a serviceable backup that will give you a game or two or three or four if your quarterback gets injured to make some plays and keep you in the win column. We, I haven't seen that. I just haven't seen that. So I don't know how long they can ride this, but at the same time, barring trade, I have no idea what Ottawa was supposed to do at this point uh, because Michael Riley is, is a statue back there being able to look down the field, throw down the field, relatively clean pocket, all the rest compared to 2019. And he compared side-by-side side with Dominique Davis in that game. It was like, well, I know that Riley's not going to make the big mistake in this game. He might make some little mistakes, some incompletions, a couple of missed throws. He's not going to make the one that, that breaks you. Yeah. So I never felt like Ottawa was had a chance of threatening BC in that game, even from the kick. I mean, the opening kickoff is if Richard Leone isn't Gumby and, <laughs> and can't run as fast as Chris Rainey because he runs his, like a gazelle because he's so tall. His strides are like <laughs> one of his is seven of Rainey's. And so when I see that on the opening kickoff, I'm like, I, I know how this game goes. It's just you have that vibe when you've watched enough of these teams. Yeah. 
if we're going to go backwards here and, and dive in deep on this BC Ottawa game, there was a point in the, I think it was the second quarter. It could be, it could be wrong. Could have been later in the game, but where I think Paul Lapalise is like, as a coaching staff, we're going to have to pull out all the stops, right? What did they fake a punt twice? Who fakes a punt twice? Yeah. They had to because they had to keep up with BC. Their defense wasn't slowing down the Lions, and they're like, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, put Ryan Davis in the backfield on a, on a punt and let him run for a first down. And then Richie Leone's chucking the ball 15 yards down the field on another punt. And it's like, yeah, this is stuff we have to do or else we're going to get absolutely throttled in every game. And, and you know, this, I've been writing articles for, you know, the betting perspective on, on cfperspective.com and I'm, I don't know what the betting world is going to do with the Ottawa Red Blacks. They, I don't know what they can set a line at where people are just stop betting the game. That's the whole point about betting. You're supposed to drive traffic to that game and it doesn't have to be a ton of traffic, but you need to have lines for games that going into that game in BC, what's a spread that they, they could have put 16, 15, 16. Okay. That's great. Against the BC Lions. What happens when Ottawa plays the Winnipeg blue bombers? Yeah. What are you going to put that spread at 20? Was it, we going to have a college football spread now. And guess what? I still might take the other side because until Ottawa can prove they can stay in games. I'm like, I'm going to ride this out. I didn't have a good week. This week, I went one and three. Only game I got right, BC Lions against the Ottawa Red Blacks. And I said in the article, until Ottawa changes the trend, let's ride this out. Yeah, yeah. And the terrifying thing for me from a betting perspective for people out there is that Ottawa should not be able to cover whatever the spread is that they put out in most of these games. And that's not just a blanket statement to crush them. It's just most of the games, if the spread is set in an honest way, they're probably going to, to lose to the spread. But... Ottawa's going to, uh, just because of the way this works, Ottawa's going to be good for two or three games this year where they will screw you. Where yeah. Ottawa will come to, because Lapalise is that good of a coach. They will find a way, they'll get a big return. They'll have a splashy game where Matt Nichols out of nowhere throws for three touchdowns as he comes back. And then it's questions of, well, is he the future quarterback in Ottawa? Maybe. And like, this is what happens in a CFL season. So yeah, I'm with you. They're the safest bet right now in the CFL, unfortunately for Red Blacks fans, but it still remains that there's going to be a couple of times this year where they're going to show you flight. It's not going to be a completely lifeless 14 games over 16 weeks. Like at some point they're going to dig out one or two more games. I'm not going to say they're going to feel like Edmonton week one, but they're going to be something where they're going to go against what they've done the whole year. And if you're betting on that, that's a, that's a frustrating loss. If that's the way that you're going to end up losing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the other side for, for BC, I thought Michael Riley looked a lot better. Um, I thought, he was more in a rhythm. Um, that receiving core for BC, I think we underestimated them before the season started. And I'm with you and, and kudos to you for preaching Lucky Whitehead as a, a receiver in that offense. Um, because I think, you know, BC is really starting to utilize them the way they need to. And Brian, Brian Burnham is always going to be Brian Burnham and, and put so up good. crazy stats and make crazy plays during the game. One of the catches he made for the touchdown was insane. But um, when you have playmakers like that, utilize them. We'll talk about later in the show, but coach that's not using, utilizing his star players, but whatever. Um, and I'm looking at BC and thinking, okay, maybe they can surprise somebody this year in, in a potential playoff game. Um, 
I still think they're leaps and bounds behind the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think they're in a class of their own, um, but only time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brian Burnham, it's crazy me, Kyle, because we take him for granted. Like as, as impossible as that seems, we actually do take him for granted in so many ways because he makes so many damn plays that you probably should not be able to make, but he does them. And because he does them so consistently, we're just like, okay, yeah, sure. And then you go back and you look at it and you're like, that is stupid how productive he has been through poor offensive lines, good, whatever it might be that's the extenuating circumstances around him uh, in BC, the dude just continues to make plays. So I'm, I'm a big, big fan as always. Sports! All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side for you here, we will dive into the three other games of the weekend. Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, and Hamilton, Toronto, down at BMO. It was a beautiful night for a football game down there, man. I, I kind of wish that I was uh, had an opportunity to go down to that one. Go watch the Argos play. That's a cool stadium. I actually think that's a very cool stadium for people to go check out. But it is Marsh and Mel right here for you on Canadian Football Perspective. Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Force to Joni. Some of the specials and features they've got coming up over the next couple of weeks. Triple Bogey Contest giveaway. $5 tall cans of Triple Bogey Lager and Amber. Every Triple Bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some great golf prizing, including a grand prize of a custom Triple Bogey golf bag. Yeah, I get it. It might be late in the golf season. Maybe you've already shut it down. Nah, let's be real. You haven't shut it. Kyle Mello hasn't shut it down. I know that. That dude will golf until December. He don't give a damn. They got some great meals in and around the barbecue, on the patio, still going strong. A summer drink menu that's continuing into the fall. And daily drink deals such as Sangria Saturday, Corona Buckets, and $9 Classic Cocktails. For more information, follow them on Instagram at 4.Stagione. That's F-O-R-E-S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. For those tough wake-ups. John got drank a beer, and then crushed it off the side of his helmet. This was a damn Canada Heritage moment. It's Martian Mellow. I've been talking about it for probably five years now, and I finally pulled the trigger, <laughs> saw that beer, chugged it, and crushed it over my head, and that was about it. That was a lot of beer consumed, I would say, on Saturday across this nation <laughs> because of football. If you'd like to get more beer, by the way, and do it by supporting the CFP podcast here, you can, uh, of course, check out Canadian Football Perspectives partnership with Sawdust City Brewing. Go to sawdustcitybeer.com, sawdustcitybeer.com, and you'll be able to check out with the promo code CFL. Get yourself free shipping. Uh, let them know, again, that we are here and that they are supporting us. We appreciate it. We've been talking with Sawdust about how to move forward, and the best thing you can do for us is to order yourself up some beer so we can continue to bring you all sorts of Canadian football discussions as we go throughout this season Calgary 32-16 they double up the Edmonton Elks uh, I did not necessarily see this being the point spread on this one however when you score a touchdown on essentially your final offensive play of the entire game uh, <laughs> as they did because Dave Dickinson is ruthless and I love him for it then yes you are going to end up uh, with a big spread like that the 16 points between Edmonton and Calgary in the rematch and so it is the split between Edmonton and Calgary between Labor Day and the Labor Day rematch Bo Levi Mitchell returns 23 of 42 just 54 percent completion percentage now completion percentage can be a little bit dismaying when you're trying to do analysis. I think there's a lot more important things that go into this. Uh, he still throws for 276, one touchdown, one interception. But to me, the moment of the entire game was when Dave Dickinson lost his shit on Bo Levi Mitchell on the sidelines. That, <laughs> that was great theater. And the reason that I say that is not because it's just fun to see a coach and a quarterback get into it. It's because 
I, I've said this many times before, and people that have consistently listened to us are probably exhausted of me saying, yeah, we get it. You spent two weeks in a Calgary training camp. Like, shut up. That doesn't mean it. Yeah, I agree. I'm tired of saying it too. But for anybody who's new, I spent two weeks in the Calgary training camp in uh, 2013. Uh, no, but I was there. So I understand the dynamic a little bit of that locker room and of that relationship. I was there when Bo Levi Mitchell was sitting behind Drew Tate and Kevin Glenn. And he was learning the offense. and He was making this way up. And it's before he's ever in a great cup with them. And I see a moment like this past Saturday where Bo takes in the first half two delay of game penalties because his mind just isn't, the wheels aren't turning the way they should to get them to the line of scrimmage, make the calls to the line, get the snap up, put people in motion. He's not doing all of that as quickly as he should. At least that's what it looked like. And when he's not doing that as quickly as he should, Dave lets him know about it. But there's a lot of relationships, quarterback to head coach, uh, linebacker to defensive coordinator, special teams guy to punter, long snapper, whatever, where if they come off the field and they know they've made a mistake and you rip them for it, what are they, they can get defensive. They can, oh, no, you know, it's not my fault. Or, you know, they didn't reset the play clock or you send all these in things. the guy at, you know, the wrong time in the huddle too hey, late. Maybe, and, yeah. maybe you should call in the play earlier to me. Maybe this is on you. Like maybe I didn't get the information and then I'm trying to hurry, but I need to play yeah. earlier. And, and again, I'm, I'm not going to lip read on this one. I don't know what the exact issue was with them not getting the snap off. But Dickinson, based on his reaction, it seemed like he was pretty comfortable that he was not in the wrong and that it was on Bo. So he lets Bo know about it. And Bo doesn't get defensive. On the sideline, they both say their piece. They're both frustrated. They know they're better than this. He doesn't, Dickinson hates the penalties and the dumb, clumsy play and the procedures and the offsides, whatever. He hates all of that stuff so, so much, as most coaches do. But Dave really lets you know on the sidelines. Like yeah. he'll go storming around and he'll be angry about stuff pretty visually. Uh, so when I see Bo come off the field, they both say their, their piece. They both get frustrated. But you know what happens right after Kyle? They're done with it and they just move on. And they're totally back down to, okay, what's the next haul? And they just start going to work again. And I'm like, man, that seems simple. That seems like something we should all be able to do. But it's not. If you watch quarterback coach, there's a great moment when the Ticats were going towards 0-8, where Zach Kalaros comes off the field after throwing an interception to Trey Roberson in Calgary in that 60-1 to loss, where he throws the interception, he walks over, and Kent Austin says, what happened? And Zach starts to explain He's about three words into the explanation and Kent puts up his hand and says, I've heard enough and walks the other direction. And it's like, that is not the way that you create that relationship that we just saw between Bo and Dave. And I just think that's such an important part of understanding that, listen, Calgary's in a bad spot right now in the West division. We understand that it's unfortunate for them. Just trying to look up real quick here where they're at. They are still at the bottom. They're two and four on the year, but when you've got a relationship like Dave and Bo do, if you get enough from some of the other parts of that team, they can win some games and crawl their way over the next 10 weeks back into the conversation. Yeah. Um, glad you brought up that Kent Austin, Zach Kalaros uh, relationship and maybe the lack of it um, because I remember, and I can't even remember what the story was, but Zach Kalaros had said something in a press conference um, and then Matthew Shinetti during a press conference with Kent Austin had relayed what Zach had said. And actually, this is, I think this might be even after Zach um, was gone from Hamilton um, when they started the season mm-hmm. uh, 0-8. And, you know, Kent said, wait, Zach said that? And then he went on Remember to this, say, yeah. yeah, he went on to say, oh, me and Zach have a great relationship. And it was like, not, no. 
I wouldn't say great. I mean, you had a working relationship potentially, but not fantastic. And we saw that at times in Hamilton. Um, but I'm with you, like Dave Dickinson and Bo Levi Mitchell, they've gone through the ringer, right? They, they've had success and now they're in the middle of uh, turmoil, maybe less so after this weekend and after a big win in Edmonton. But um, I think I was always saying during the Stampeders struggles over the last little while, they have everything in place to be good, to be great. And you're telling me if they're a third seed or a fourth seed in the West playoffs, you're telling me you want to play the Calgary Stampeders in a playoff situation? Well, Hell here's, no. Here's a question for you, Kyle. Who, and, and I'm only asking this because I don't have a great answer myself, and I think it's an interesting discussion point. You mentioned this about BC earlier, too, because of Burnham and their ability to throw vertically yeah. and Riley being the old lord. If, if the three seed is BC or the three seed is Calgary, who scares you more? as an outside looking in three seed, who's going to have to do the Winnipeg blue bombers of 2019, win on the road, win on the road, go to the great cup, win on the road. Ooh. Yeah. Like I think the Calgary Stampeders are perfectly suited for a, a run and especially if they can get some rhythm underneath them. Mm. Um, and don't be surprised at the end of the season if the Calgary Stampeders are in like second place in the West division because they've gone. I don't think they can catch here. Saskatchewan or Winnipeg though. I, I think Saskatchewan showed some faults and they feel like a wounded animal right now, but well, and it's the health of Cody Fajardo, right? If yeah. They that's have, the if thing. they have Harker as their starting quarterback moving forward, <laughs> no disrespect to him. Um, I, I worry for the rough riders. Okay. I just want to say this. Like we've done enough here on Calgary Edmonton. I'm sorry that we didn't get to Trevor Harris I, and, I, and his performance. I know <laughs> they only had 16 points in this game, but I, I would say uh, that my main takeaway from this was Bo and Dave, finding a way James Wilder Jr. still doing his thing. And then Trevor's efficient again, but one interception, zero touchdowns, and they didn't really create that much offensively. Can I just say yes, stuff yeah. about uh, what I saw from the Edmonton Elks? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't recall a five game stretch where I've been less impressed with a guy who's supposed to be a great coach in the CFL. I think Jamie Elizondo has been, terrible through the first five games you're telling me in five games you've been your offense has been shut out from the end zone in two of those games both against the worst records in the canadian football league they got shut out from the end zone in ottawa uh, against ottawa in week one and now against calgary say what you want about the stampeders i understand that greg ellingson with five minutes left in the fourth quarter has one target <laughs> It's Greg Ellingson. Like, utilize your stars. It's the CFL. It's a bigger field. You can get the ball in the hands of your playmakers if you try. And he's not trying. The offense, to me, just looks terrible. Inconsistent. And for Jamie Elizondo, listen, uh, Devon Claybrooks got fired after one year as a head coach in the CFL. If Jamie Elizondo, who's supposed to be this offensive genius, can't get Edmonton into a spot where, oh boy, we're out in the first game of the playoffs, or we didn't make the playoffs because our offense just can't figure it out. That guy should probably be fired. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. Jamie Elizondo, just offensively, I don't know what's going on with the Edmonton Elks. So inconsistent. And even when they've hit their peak, and I would say they hit their peak probably against BC. I think it was a Friday night game um, where they looked to be in some sort of rhythm. It was after obviously the Edmonton Elks started the season horribly, but right now I just, 
with all those playmakers on offense and you can't get into the end zone in two of the five games, it's, it's embarrassing if you ask me. Yeah, and I'll just say this about uh, Edmonton. It's, it's a bit of a weird happenstance uh, that when I see the way that Greg Allingson's being used this year, it's very reminiscent in terms of the inconsistency that you speak of to what Darrell Walker was with the Toronto Argonauts in 2019, where everybody's going, why, why can't you get the ball to? You need to get him more targets. You need to, And then you know what they did? Toronto, I believe it was like week six or something in 2019, went into Calgary and they almost, it was like they were only throwing to Darrell Walker and he had a great game. I kind of get the vibe that that's what the Greg Ellingson game against BC was. Like in BC on that Thursday night victory a couple of weeks ago, week three, week four, where they fed him a bunch. He, had, he made a bunch of great plays and we're all like, Greg Ellingson is back. And then you go through Labor Day, Labor Day rematch and you're like, okay, this is kind of like back to the way that it was in weeks, not necessarily week one, but week two, maybe week three. And yeah, it, it does make you wonder why is it so up and down? And it's funny as well to me that Greg Ellingson, I view as being like 2019 Darrell Walker with Toronto. You know who else is on Edmonton? Darrell Walker. Uh, so they, like, it's a, it's a funny team, man. I don't, I don't have any answers for it as of right now. I can look at all the numbers I want, all the percentages. I can look at the target rates. I can look at parts of the field they're getting in the football. I can even watch the film and see the progressions. And maybe there's a good reason why they're making their way off of Ellingson or Walker for certain coverages because teams are doubling down on them or whatever. Yeah. But it still defies explanation because, yeah, you can't, you just can't get to that point in the game late in a, in a close game like they've had Labor Day or the rematch and not be force feeding that person. Because when you do, good things tend to happen. Like they don't throw a lot of interceptions for Trevor Harris when they're forcing it into Greg Ellingson. They're, they're better than yeah. that. And it wasn't even the offensive struggles um, that got to me. It was the game management mm. for Jamie Elizondo. In that first half, Calgary looked like a high school offense that couldn't get their bleep figured out, right? Bolivai Mitchell looked like he was a deer in headlights. You got to take, adva yeah. take advantage of that. They, they, they kicked the field goal twice, right? One of them was on third and two or something. I think it was less than two. Um, go for it on third down, like jump when the, the other team can't figure their bleep out. And there was another play. I think it was third and four. They were in Calgary territory and they punted. Mm -hmm. I'm like, go for it. Even if you get stopped, it's not like Calgary's figuring it out offensively. Like that, this is the time to, to pounce. And I thought Jamie Elizondo let numerous opportunities for the Edmonton Elks to really grab a hold of that game through his fingers. And for the Edmonton Elks, you have obviously offensive issues right now with getting the ball in the end zone. Um, we'll see, but that's, that's a situation that needs to fix itself. Cause I think there's people in Edmonton that are going to really be, you know, pissed off because Jamie Elizondo look for everything that happened with Scott Milanovic, they, they hired him, then he was gone. And, like they had an opportunity to hire Jamie Elizondo when they hired Scott Milanovic and they chose not to, did they go to their number two guy? Kind of looks that way. right now. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't allowed. It was my understanding out of Ottawa. Right. So I think that when that door got closed, then Milanovic became the guy at that spot. But uh, yeah, the point remains it's a, uh, it's a tough spot for Edmonton in their offense. And I'd like to see them get going as well, because I mean, they're going to, if they're going to struggle when they've got full weeks to prepare for teams, and they're playing the same team back-to-back. -back. What's it going to look like when they're playing three games over eight days or whatever it is because of the COVID rescheduled game, when the legs are a little bit heavier? That could that could be ugly for them. And if that's ugly late in the season, that's not going to be a good look. Uh, let's move on to Saskatchewan-Winnipeg here. It was the first game in Super Saturday. Zach Laros, 
81% of his passes completed for 278, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Ah, perfect. Perfect, Zach Kalaros. Uh, basically, uh, a couple of knockdowns at the line of scrimmage, maybe one missed throw in the entire game, but 18 of 22, completing 82% of his passes. Cody Fajardo, 11 of 17 for 64%, 169, and an interception before he ends up smacking his head on the turf at the beginning of the second half. And in comes Isaac Harker, who I'm with you, Kyle, looks like he works for a landscaping company and he's just a <laughs> high school kid trying to make some money so he can go buy a new pair of shoes. Working uh, in a sleeveless shirt all although, the time. <laughs> yeah, although I will say he made one throw on the right sideline that was a comeback to the outside, wide side of the field, that I believe Kane Schaefer-Baker ended up catching, which he's been great, by the way, out of Guelph. Like, yeah. And Dwayne Ford was all over that dude when he was coming out. He's like, he's going to be the best receiver in this class. I'm like, mm, I don't see it. And then sure enough, as always, Dwayne is right. Uh, but he made this one throw where he gets hit, gets planted. Like where you're throwing to your right, rush is coming to your rush arm. You throw the ball, guy wraps you up, bang, whacks you right onto the turf. And he puts it outside and high and away. And I think it was Glenn Suter that was on the color call. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, he missed that one. He missed, you know, he, he put it to the outside. It's a little, little offset. And I'm like, Glenn, that's a great throw. Like I immediately, I was sitting there and I'm just thinking, that's a fantastic throw. Getting hit, looking through the rush, only a couple of plays into the game and spotting it high and away from the defender to the wide side of the field on like a 12 or 18 yard comeback. I was like, Whew. so Harker, again, I, I make fun of the fact that he does look very young and he does at times <laughs> play a little bit young, Um uh, but he made some throws like he he made some really good throws in this spot. So all hope is not lost for Saskatchewan. I think if he might have to go for a week or two, not even right now, just in general. With that being said, he's obviously not Cody Fajardo. He's not going to run through arm tackles. He's not going to create off script. He's not going to spin away from free rushing linebackers like Fajardo did against Hamilton back in week number two. And so you need him to be ready to go. But the thing that jumped out to me in this game was that both running backs, William Powell and Andrew Harris, 18 carries each. 18 carries each. Now for Winnipeg, some of that was grinding down the clock and just trying to get out of there. Saskatchewan dedicated themselves in this game to trying to run the football a little bit more, which Derek Taylor will always tell you here on CFP. Running the football doesn't matter in the CFL. It's a waste of time, energy, and effort. But when William Powell's out there getting 88 yards, 4.9 yards per clip, he's got a long of 12. You mix in Cody Fajardo with a couple of rushes off of zone read type stuff where they dive down on William Powell and Fajardo's pulling it out. Not all is lost for Saskatchewan. I get it feels frustrating. I get that's the team you don't want to lose back-to-back to. They got the best of you. Their defense is better now. What do you do to figure it out going towards a playoff matchup with them, which feels inevitable at this point? Yeah. Um, for Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I said before last week's game, before the Labor Day game, I said the big thing for Saskatchewan is if their offense can put up points, can Winnipeg equal them credit to Zach Kalaros because at this point in the season, he looks like the MOP. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just the way it is for as great as that defense is. And they set up Zach numerous times with great field position. And he mentioned that post game, like Zach Kalaros, this is, this is like 2015 Zach. That was so playing. here's, here's my question on the MOP discussion at this point. And again, we are what six weeks into a 16 game season. So we're just beyond, um, you know, a third of the way through, which there's always, takes on who's played well through the beginning mm -hmm. and there's injuries still to come and there's people that will you know, go up and down but the one consistent in Winnipeg throughout this entire year yes it's been Zach he's been very efficient but as much as I like giving the MOP to quarterbacks I'm looking at this and thinking how 
is, is there a player that is singularly great enough on Winnipeg's defense to give the MOP? Whether well, Willie is always w- there, right? Whether it be Willie or Jeffcoat or Big Hill, because it would be one of those three. And you would have to think it would probably be Willie or Jeff. I mean, Jeffcoat's got four forced fumbles thus far this <laughs> season. Like he's got four sacks, four forced fumbles. He is singularly, which is what you look for in an MOP, changing the game. And it's not mm-hmm. that Claros isn't, but I think we can all agree Winnipeg, their victories have come and they've been kept in games, even in losses, like against Toronto in week three, because of the defense, like the defense is the reason. So I, I kind of don't love the idea that we're going to give Zach the MOP because he's playing at a very good level, not great, not out of this world. He's not leading the team necessarily dragging them towards victories that they should be uh, losing. But the thing that's keeping them in it and that's allowing Winnipeg to be successful in the grander scheme is the defense. But you can't give the MOP to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense because they are the most valuable player in the entire CFL. Yeah. But you have to choose one player. So then the question becomes, if they stay this dominant, they keep them in games enough. And if Kolaros starts to kind of, and I, I hate saying that, you know, he's not full value because he is, he's making great throws, great decisions, and he's working within their system. But the reality is the Bombers situation in their system is never going to be conducive to a quarterback throwing for 500 yards or leading the league in touchdown passes. So if that's not going to be the case, they're going to lean on Andrew Harris. They're going to throw a lot of screens. They're going to control a clock. They're going to use their big offensive line. And then they're going to wear you down with their special teams with Theodric Hansen, the crazy global German running around out there doing all sorts of fun stuff. Les Moreau at Japan, another global that's getting lots of snaps with them. And then their defense is just going to overwhelm you. Just the bodies there. I mean, Jonathan Kongbo being a rotational guy is stupid. Jonathan Kongbo is an NFL worthy talent. If it were not for an ACL tear at Tennessee in his final year. And so the idea that it's like they have such a plethora of riches. There was a dude who made a tackle, for, like he was a defensive tackle for Winnipeg. He planted Parker in the second half. I've never seen him before. Didn't even <laughs> know his name. I'm like, they're pulling people out that are getting hits on the quarterback that look like they could be great CFL players who I've never heard of before because they're just rolling people through. So again, not, yeah. to, not to jump on your MOP discussion, but it's just, I, I want people to think about if Zach and the Bombers continue to win football games, does he deserve the MOP just because he plays quarterback on the most successful team? Or do you have to start looking at, okay, what's the real value of why Winnipeg is having this success? Because to me, it's the defense. And then you have to wonder in your own mind, who would you pick from that defense to be the person who's deserving of the most outstanding player across the entire CFL? Yeah, this is an interesting conversation to have. I will say for Winnipeg to give the MOP to one of the guys on probably that defensive front one of the guys in the front seven right yeah. so it's either it's either willie uh, <laughs> deandre Jackson. alford boundary yeah. corner congratulations you're the mop yeah it's either you know willie jackson jeff coder out of big hill like you said um the thing for me is if zach can create enough of a gap between himself and the rest of the quarterbacks in the canadian football league in 2019 we didn't select the quarterback as mop i think tendencies will tell you the voters will just say, okay, let's go. Let's go back to the quarterback yeah. thing, right? And just give it to Zach. Right now, Zach, nine touchdown passes on the season, three interceptions. There's another quarterback tied with him with nine touchdown passes. It's Vernon Adams Jr. Hmm. Here's the thing. Zach hasn't played Ottawa yet, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like Vernon Adams Jr., that's why his numbers are so high, because he got to play uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks and absolutely destroy them and put up 51 points. Um, Outside of that, the next quarterback has six touchdown passes. 
Zach's already kind of creating that gap. Nobody's crying right now for Vernon Jr. Point. to win MOP. Um, that's my thing. Zach's not really fighting with the guys on his defense. He's fighting against other quarterbacks because voters will go look at statistics. And if Zach at the end of the season has six, seven touchdown passes more than the second place guy, people are going to say, oh, he was definitely the best quarterback this year. Yes, he has a great defense, but I can't decipher which guy to pick on the defense. So they cancel each other out, yeah. right? Like Brandon Banks in 2019 won the MOP because his numbers were undeniable. And the gap between Brandon Banks and the other great receivers in the Canadian Football League, and I think it was Brian Burnham that was kind of second um, in terms of receiver numbers. It was so large and no quarterback was jumping off the charts. That's why Brandon Banks won because his numbers were stupid. Yeah. Um, and I just think this year, if Zach can create that gap, then I think he wins the MOP. Look, I said Cody Fajardo um, was my MOP pick before the season. Um, I didn't think the Riders had issues on their offensive line. After watching that game, boy, their offensive line just got pushed around like Hamilton did in week one. Um, and then obviously Fajardo gets hurt. And I feel bad because... You know, Fajardo goes out, and I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, Fajardo needs to learn how to not take hits. That hit wasn't his fault. Like, the pocket collapsed around him, yeah. and he tried to make a play and obviously slammed his head off the ground. We, uh, we say it week in, week out, but, yeah, that Winnipeg defensive line is going to make you question the validity of every offensive line they go up against because it seems like every week we come out of the game and we go, man, is that offensive line struggling? And then you have to keep in mind, no, it, let's look at the consistent trend. Winnipeg's been doing this to pretty much everybody thus far, except for Toronto in week three where they just got run all over, which I don't know what the hell Winnipeg does when they come to Toronto, but they lost that game in a 20-point comeback in 2019 on the road in Toronto, and then they lost week three in Toronto again this year. So I don't know. That's a, that's a weird one to me. But you gave me a perfect natural segue there, Kyle, when you talk about quarterbacks learning how to protect themselves. Uh, Dane Evans. Uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, they end up losing to start off week number six. This was uh, down at BMO Field in Toronto. It was actually really fun to see this marquee matchup on Friday Night Football highlighted. No games around it, nothing before, nothing. It was the it was the main focus. 17-16 is the final as David Watford leads them down the field, gets into the end zone, and then uh, Michael Domagala, doink, uh, and now the Tiger Cats have themselves uh, a middle-of-the-pack situation in the east division as toronto gains a game back on them as they get the split between labor day and the rematch here but um i mean <laughs> dane evans i have so much respect for like the way that he ran in the open field and he jukes a defender and he lowers a shoulder into a guy and but i've always said this about the western mustangs quarterbacks and the way that greg marshall calls quarterback runs or allows his quarterbacks to run or encourages his quarterbacks to run is that it's great up to a certain point. And I would love to look at the number of snaps taken and the number of called running plays or scrambles or quarterback sneaks that a quarterback takes before their breaking point. Because I do believe there's a breaking point. And Dane has not taken several hits over an 18-game season. But in that game, the reality is, here's the, here's the <laughs> fanalytics, if you want to call it, okay? This is some bro science, some bro math for you here. The more hits you take, the higher the percentage you're going to end up getting something injured. Yeah. Crazy, right? Like, obviously, <laughs> that's the way that that's why people talk about protecting themselves. That's they, why running backs are a dime a dozen. Exactly, because yeah. they get hit every single play. And yep. so at some point, they are going to get injured because the human body is not designed over a long haul 
to take the beating that running backs do. So with that being said, Dane didn't do anything wrong. He didn't leave himself vulnerable. He wasn't trying to get injured. He wasn't trying to be a tough guy. But the more you get hit, the more likely it is that you're going to get injured. Something's going to go wrong with your body. It's the sad, sad reality of, of contact sports and professional football. In this game, whether it be because of game, score, situation, approach, whatever, the Ticats through three quarters were passing the football on 94% of their snaps. They had called passes on 90. They had essentially a quarterback sneak and two runs compared to 20 or 30 some odd passes going into the fourth quarter. Uh, that allowed the defensive line for Toronto to just get after it. And when they did, it was pressure. And it was Sean Oakman splitting double teams because it doesn't matter if you triple, quadruple, whatever the term is for five blockers. If you send your entire line Sean Oakman's way, he's still just going to run through a bunch of human beings. Because I crunched the numbers this past week. Kyle, Willie Jefferson's a monster, right? Yeah. Like he's a terrifying human being. Sean Oakman of the Toronto Argonauts, who is a meme, obviously from his time at Baylor, but he is a, a incredible, incredible athlete. This guy is, I believe I saw three inches taller and 40 pounds heavier than Willie Jefferson. <laughs> three inches taller, 40 pounds heavier than Willie Jefferson. He's got a pretty good first step and he just runs through contact. So they had all sorts of pressure on Dane. He ends up getting dinged. Ticats made it interesting down the stretch, but couldn't finish. And now Hamilton becomes the most interesting team, I think, in the entire CFL when it comes to news of the week leading up to their next game. Because to be in this spot where Masoli's been out for a couple of weeks, sounds like he'll be available, but you don't really know until he's back out there on the field and 100% playing at a high level. Based on the way that Masoli looked to start the year, if he comes back in and he struggles in the first quarter, do you have to do what Lapolis did with Matt Nichols and say, listen, we can't keep doing this. We have to pull you out here and go with somebody else like he did in week five against Montreal. There's so many questions right now around yeah. Hamilton. And, and I just feel like quarterback is central to most, if not all of it. It's great to have two starting caliber worthy quarterbacks, but uh, this game Toronto felt in control for the most part. I would say from start to finish, I thought Nick Arbuckle looked really good. Receiving core is nice. And sounds like Kendall Wright, the former first round NFL pick is going to show up in Toronto this week where they're going to put them. Yeah. I have no idea because they're running a bunch of two running back formations. So they don't have as many receivers on the field. Going into this game Friday. If David Watford is the starting quarterback of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, I don't know what's wrong with Jeremiah Masoli, um, but if David Watford is the starting quarterback uh, for the Ticats, eh, the Ticats are going to get stomped. Because Calgary, now they have rhythm underneath them after that win in Edmonton. I don't think Bully Van Mitchell is going to have that first half where he <laughs> looks like a deer in headlights. I think they're going to come after the Ticats. And that offensive line for Hamilton, I worry that Stephen Banks is going to get six sacks. He's in nice, the game. man. I'm glad that you brought up Stephen Banks because I was, I, you know, when you see a player once in a while, and this is honestly because of their talent recruitment. It's usually the Calgary Stampeders where you see a player and you're like, whoa, that guy is going to be really, really good. And you know it almost immediately. Stephen Banks was that player for yeah. me from this week. And it might be because Edmonton's O-line struggled, but he made plays that I don't care who's in front of him. I think he would have made them. It's funny because the last couple of weeks we've been discussing the Ticats potential cap situation and how they're kind of strapped. And we talked about Jeremiah Masoli and potentially moving him out to alleviate some room. Um, that, that That's doesn't really play into this conversation. Now it's going to be tested on whether the Ticats can make some roster moves. You need a kicker. As much as Michael Damagala is a, a good story, 
Um, he looks not confident at all, even in some of the kicks that he makes. Um, you know, I mentioned against the Argos um, that he had an extra point drop in, you know, just on the other side of the uprights because a big gust of wind. Um, it, it seems like every kick is like that for me, for Michael Demagala. It's like, oh, that went through, but that was a kind of shaky kick. But nobody cares because it got through the uprights, right? Well, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan kind of feel like that now, too, with their kicking situation. That was that was rough, man, in that Winnipeg-Saskatchewan game. We're just mis-kick, mis-kick, mis- like scared. Yeah, like they, I don't know what's happening with these, these guys, but there's uh, typically... You know, nobody can reach where any parrot is in terms of consistency, but typically you got a bunch of people nipping at his heel. Sean White maybe aside in Edmonton, but this year it's like you've got the elite veteran kickers and then you've got this new crop and they're all struggling, it feels like. Yeah. Um, and then for Hamilton, you have the issue on the offensive line. Um, they came up again. The issue is not going away. And I put it out on Twitter during the game. Even though you're winning, the cracks were still there. And the offensive line slowing down opposition's pass rush seems to be an issue still. And for Hamilton, are you just going to kind of go through the motions for the rest of the season with this group? I hate to say it, but you know, K Okafor on the left tackle, uh, he wasn't good against Toronto Yarborough. This, this dude that keeps stepping in on our right guard position, stop playing him there at, at some point in the second half, they had to put Jesse Gibbon in because he was just getting, just push straight back every single play. Like this isn't good enough for the tie cats. Dario Sirocco again. Like I thought he was being pushed up the middle, move him back to his position at right guard and go and find a bleeping center. Like the, the movement on this offensive line, some of it was unnecessary. Some of it you were forced into the tie cats had a horrible contingency plan for Mike Filer retiring. Like the writing should have been on the wall, find a, a, a competent center that can fill in for Mike Filer if he retires. Well, he retired. And their idea was, let's take our very good right guard and put him at center, and then let's put a right guard in that position that can't do the job. And now you have a new center with a right guard that can't do his job, madness out on the left tackle with Kay Okafer, and it's like, none of it is good. Like, for, for me, this has to be addressed now. Because if it's not, it's going to be a waste of a season where the Ticats are hosting a great cup. And I hate to be forceful in my comment about it, but for the Ticats and the city of Hamilton, that this isn't good enough. Like, everybody knows your problem, and you haven't done anything to fix it. Maybe you can't. Well, that's your own fault for putting yourselves in this position. Yeah, I don't think that you're wrong to be forceful with it because that's the way that Hamilton feels. And I haven't talked face-to-face with a lot of people because COVID, um, but I have gone to, you know, go get my hair cut at Architect Hair Design down on, on uh, downtown Hamilton. And when you're around those people that are Ticats fans and you hear them talking about stuff, the first thing that comes up is the offensive line. And that's just the, the casual fan, the average fan, the person who, you know, knows that I work in and around the CFL. And they say to me, what's going on with the with the O-line? I'm like, listen, it's... There's some forced evolution there. And it's also, I think, fair for you to say, Kyle, that some of it has been forced and some of it has been unforced. And they, they've they been trying to juggle and to figure it out. I think in a COVID season, it's more difficult to move players in and out. So that's understandable that maybe that limited their roster. But yeah, it, you would have liked to have seen a more natural transition to something that yeah. made sense. I always thought Revenberg might have been the guy that could become the next, like it's the Marwan Hages into... Um, you know, the Mike Filers, and maybe it goes well, to why? Why would you move him from left guard? But ex- exactly. Like, that's, to me, that was just me being 
you know, trying to be the storyteller where it's like, oh, the long history of centers, Canadian centers for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And this is the next great one who's going to be there for 10 years. And it's like, no, he's too good at left guard. Sirocco, I think you're right, is in a similar position. But again, in Toronto, you're seeing DeCastro move all over the place as a young Canadian who's trying to replace Sean McEwen after he leaves in free agency for Calgary. So uh, I, all of it, I think, is is on the table for Hamilton trying to figure these things out offensively. But uh, And now next- I just wanted to, to yeah. touch on the, the David Watford situation. You look at the statistics, his numbers were, I guess, okay. He kind of almost willed Hamilton back. Um, for me, he can't do the things you need to be a successful quarterback in the CFL, the first two throws that he had. And again, it could be rust, a lack of reps, <laughs> but <laughs> those guys are, but here's the thing. And people always bring that word up and it drives me nuts. Oh, he doesn't have reps. The two throws he missed, the guy was wide open and he wasn't even close with his accuracy. It could just be a bad throw, but that's all I can see. That's all I can go off of. And people on Twitter, after I put out, David Watford is not a quarterback. People on Twitter, yeah, but that's a lack of reps and, you know, a a lack of rhythm with the offense. Look, I've seen David Watford in practice. I've seen him throw the football. It's not, it's not good. It's not. And if he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Ticats, the Ticats are going to get, like I said at the beginning of this, they're going to get absolutely stomped by the St. Peters. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just looking at the schedule here for Hamilton going forwards. They've got Calgary uh, in week number seven. Uh, maybe some relief coming. They play against Ottawa in week eight on a Wednesday. It's an interesting one. Wednesday, September 22nd is going to be that game. Uh, and then uh, the following week, Hamilton has got Montreal, I believe, uh, at home, which that's pretty fun to see those two teams coming together. And then they've got Toronto in a month on October 11th, less than a month at this yeah. point, as people are listening here on a Monday. So uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll uh, we'll find out exactly how Hamilton tries to deal with this issue. But based on what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of change in that spot. Uh, let's dive into the three-minute warning and wrap this thing up. Get ready! Get ready! Let's go, a little urgency. Here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... Uh, it's brought to you by grocery bags that don't rip. Uh, I've, I feel like I've had a long history with this where I hate using the plastic bags. I'm all for the paper bags. If you can recycle them, that's great. But they always overfill the, the paper bags or in an attempt to not overfill the paper bags, you feel like you're not getting your money's worth for getting them. So I try to use those reusable bags, right? Yeah. And I've, I've got one that's a Metro bag. I've got one that's a Fortino's bag and bring three or four of them, try to use them. Well, I had one that was a, for some reason, I don't know why I've, it was in the rotation of my grocery bags. It was a green uh, food basics bag. Oh yeah, I know the bag you're talking about. It's a, it's a big bag, right? Like you can put a, yeah. you can, yeah, you can put a lot of stuff in that. Well, last night, don't I go to grab some groceries, overfill it, go to pick it up, both uh, both of the handles just ripped at the seam. Oh, like the, the entire, I just heard rip, and it just I looked down and everything was just spilling out the sides. So um, shout out to the Metro bag that I've been using for probably a decade that hasn't shown any signs of wear whatsoever and holds. <laughs> Hold strong. It is the sturdy. It's the Sean McEwen of grocery bags. It's the sturdy center I can always rely on. Yeah. Um, there was one time I worked at the LCBO, um, and I don't know. This person was walking, and I'm pretty sure they walked into the side of the building and hit like the bag on the brick and cracked one of the bottles inside. Well, they had oh. a long walk to their car, 
and I'm pretty sure the bottle was leaking inside because there was alcohol all over the bottom of the bag and they were walking and the rest of the bag just ripped and they dropped probably three bottles just all over the 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 parking lot and they came back inside and blamed me and i'm like the forensic evidence would tell me that the paper bag has liquid at the bottom which doesn't make sense and why it would rip clearly it was leaking and the bag just gave way because it was wet yeah that's awful uh by the way quick shout out here on the way out for anybody that doesn't know the theme song here at the end of our show Uh, that is the Sons of Marshall. That is the Marshall fight song. And Marshall football, big win over the weekend, Kyle, against uh, you know one of those big teams that you're always scared of when you're playing college football in the United States, North Carolina Central. Uh, they were able to get the victory over them. Yeah. Uh, 44 to 10, they beat up on Navy 49 to 7. Now they are coming home to play against East Carolina this Saturday. U Sports also gets underway. McMaster against Western is a marquee matchup in the OUA. You're going to be, yeah. to be checking out. And we've got an exciting announcement coming up for you tomorrow with our friends at Ontario University Athletics that we'll uh, give you a little teaser for on that one. So stay tuned to all of your CFP channels. What do you got, Kyle, on our Thundering Herd? No, that's great stuff. Not in the Thundering Herd, but congratulations to them. Notre Dame, are they the worst <laughs> good team that you've ever seen in your life? Week one, almost lose to Florida State. Mackenzie Milton was wills them back. Week two, almost lose to Toledo. By the way, Florida State in week two come out and lose to Jacksonville Bleeping <laughs> State. I actually, I played high school football with a guy who went down and played at Jacksonville State, Billy Peach, who played offensive line with the Calgary Stampeders for a little while. And uh, now is a real estate agent, I believe, in Kingston. And they they have some talent in Jacksonville State, but holy hell, Florida State. What is what is that? But Notre for Dame. Notre Dame, what happens when you play a good team? Are you going to get stomped? Goodness, it, that's a mess uh, for all of them. It, <laughs> Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson. There you go. I just told you everything you need to know about college football. There's only three Alabama's good teams. going to win the national championship. They're, they're so good. And Georgia. And Georgia. <laughs> like, there's four good teams in all of college football. The rest of us are just watching games on the weekend for fun. But and Alabama to- finally has maybe the best quarterback yeah, in the history of the program. <laughs> He's so good. I'm, t- I'm terrified what he's going to become, what Alabama's going to like, They were blowing people out by a billion before they had quarterback play. And then they got Tua. And then they got Jalen Hurts. And they're like, hey, let's just do it the way everybody else is and doing And then they it. got Mac Jones. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. you see the way they're recruiting now. It's they, they used to get the running back or the linebacker. Now they get the running back, the linebacker, and the quarterback, the most important position on the field. <laughs> they're no longer trotting out their A.J. McCarrens. They're now putting out, like, future NFL Hall of Famers. You're like, oh, my God, please don't don't let this be a thing. But they become a receiver, you, too. Like, all oh, the receivers, they're pumping out to the NFL. And now the guys that they have now, Mechie is just killing it at Alabama. It's, it's weird. It's an insane program. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Just like this one. Marshmallow, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thank you, as always, to Fox 40 and Sada City Beer for supporting us and allowing us to bring you this show. Make sure you go to fox40shop.com. Use the promo code CFP15 and go to sadacitybeer.com as well and use the promo code CFL. Hook yourself up. Have some fun as we head towards week number seven of the CFL season. Thanks for tuning in. For Kyle Mello, I'm Marshall Ferguson. Let's go get this mug. Right, I'm going to teach you how to do this after this. It's Herd Jacks. Here's what we do. We say, Herd Jacks, team ready, you say ready. We say, Herd Jacks, team ready, you say ready. Herd exercise. H-E-R-D. Herd head. Let's go to work. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.